Thank you, choir. Well, friends, good morning, and again, welcome to First Press Berkeley on this first Sunday in Advent, and Happy New Year. That's right, while many of us are still digesting our Thanksgiving dinner, our church has turned its calendar into a new season, a new year, in fact. But unlike Target, which sprints from Thanksgiving to Christmas faster than our turkeys went from moist to dry, the church doesn't hightail it to the manger. Not yet. In her great wisdom, the community of faith recognized long ago that there are some events in the life of the church that are so important, so critical, that they need an extended season to prepare for them. Jesus' birth is one such event. In fact, the birth of Jesus is so important that it literally restarts our church calendar. Everything, everything that follows depends on a little baby showing up in a manger. But who is this swaddled babe, really? Who is this one that the shepherds race to see, that the angels sing of, that the wise ones seek from afar? Before we join their chorus of praise on Christmas morning, before we proclaim joy to the world and promise to go tell it on the mountain, we are invited to slow down, to ponder, to prepare, to wait for this little baby who will change everything. So these four weeks leading up to Christmas, we are going to do just that. We are going to tiptoe our way to the manger right alongside our nativity figures coming to Jesus' home. Within the church's great, using the church's great Advent prayers, the O Antiphons, as our guide, each week we'll explore the names Scripture gives to Jesus so that on Christmas morning, we might greet him for who he truly is. Last week on Christ the King Sunday, we began our journey with a regal name, O King of Nations. But lest we anticipate a ruler of our own making, the prophet corrects us. This king won't reign from on high, but from below, won't amass power, but give it away. Today, on this first Sunday of Advent, we turn to the Gospel of John for another name, O Wisdom. As we do, let us pray together. Gracious God, we come to your word this morning from a weekend of thanksgiving, feasting on your provision for us in ways big and small, and yet even in the midst of our thanksgiving, we are hungry for a word of hope, a word of life. So we turn to you, knowing that you're the God of both. Speak to us now through this year word, read and preached, that it might comfort and encourage us, challenge and inspire us to be a hopeful and wise Advent people. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, amen. Friends, our scripture text for today is biblical poetry at some of its most beautiful. As you listen, I invite you to quiet, to imagine, to enter in with your senses. 
Listen now to God's word to us from the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses one through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and not one thing came into being without him. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of the will of, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Beloved, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What record of your earliest days do you have? Maybe you have an old cherished family photo album filled with pictures of you and relatives, some familiar, many not, marked with faded ballpoint pen. Maybe you have your own individual baby book, lovingly capturing details and milestones, your height and weight at birth, the color of your eyes when you first smiled. Maybe you have an adoption file with only the most sparse of information, leaving you to fill in the details. Or maybe your baby book is a shoebox, full of photos that are probably you, but also Uh, have a striking resemblance to some of your siblings. Or maybe, some of you younger folk out there, your shoebox is the modern equivalent, an iPhone album of photos that will never actually be printed. Our family recently welcomed our second son, and one of the great benefits of becoming a second-time parent is just that. You've done it before. I knew what not to bother to bring to the hospital this time around, what to expect of those blurry first few weeks, and maybe more than anything, how fast the time would go. Case in point, my older son, baby book. Frozen in time at 12 months, with pictures dovetailed into the pages waiting to be lovingly arranged. As a recovering middle child, I vowed that if I ever had children, Whatever I did for one, I would do for the others, including a baby book, even a sad, half-finished, frozen-in-time one. But I knew that this time I needed some help if this was going to come to be. So I did what any self-respecting millennial parent would do. I found an app. Each week, I am automatically prompted with questions to record a little bit of something about our little one. 
information about his birth, our family, milestones, all in the comfort of my rocking chair, often in the wee hours of the morning. But I have to confess that some of those prompts were a little hard for my sleep-deprived brain. I struggled to record those earliest memories, the ones preceding our child's birth, the time of anticipation of waiting. Our scripture passage this morning doesn't share this problem. It goes back, way back. The four gospels and scriptures each record the story of Jesus, but they begin very differently. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke start with details we expect of baby books, Jesus' family and birthplace, his birth announcements and first visitors, John is quite different. John doesn't bother with recording any of these details. He never even calls Jesus by his given name, but instead refers to him as logos, which translates to something like word, utterance, wisdom. Our passage today, turns out, isn't a who's who family album or a baby's first scrapbook. It's a poetic prologue that spans eternity and encompasses the cosmos. It's an epic origin story. And while it's not the homey anecdotes we'd expect of a birth story and maybe prefer in the other Gospels, we still know epics. We still love epics. An unlikely hero undergoes a perilous quest that takes them to the very edge of the world as they know it. In the face of mythic dangers and at great risk to self, the hero demonstrates superhuman abilities, overcoming all odds and ascending to the ranks of hero. Whether it's Odysseus or Luke Skywalker, Beowulf, Harry Potter, or any of the Marvel characters, we know the trajectory of the hero, up which makes John's epic prologue all the more confusing because its way, God's way, is decidedly down. While we fashion our heroes to overcome worldly obstacles and transcend human capacities, this Logos character flips the script. The same word of God we're told that spoke creation into being, whose very breath brought forth life, whose mere utterance illumined the world with light, is now entering into it. Not in a costume. This isn't Superman's glasses and button-up that can be tossed aside at any given moment. No, the real world word became real flesh. God's cosmic, eternal self-revelation becomes flesh and blood. God with us. It's all wrong, friends. It's all backwards. It doesn't fit into any of our scripts. Who would look for the creator of the cosmos in a cradle? The savior of the world as a helpless baby? Who would expect divine wisdom to hide under such foolishness? It's no wonder we didn't know or accept him. He's not the hero we were looking for. This epic story is risky, but not in the grandiose way we'd come to expect. Jesus journeys not to the heights of power, but to the lowly manger, not overcoming human capacities, but entering into the fullness of the human experience, 
Friends, this is God's foolish wisdom, loving enough to risk becoming real. One of the great epics of our modern times has been in continuous print for over a century and has been translated into numerous languages. It's known and beloved by adults and children alike. Maybe you know it too. The Velveteen Rabbit. This children's story tells the journey of a stuffed rabbit who dreams of becoming real. Curious about the process, he turns to the skin horse in the nursery, the oldest and wisest toy. What is real? asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side in the nursery before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a stick-out handle? Real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, the rabbit asks, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Friends, becoming real is the ultimate proof of love. But it comes at a cost. It means opening yourself to the wear and tear of the human experience. Shabby hair and loose joints, tear stains and sickness, and yes, even death. It's risky and foolish, but it has the power to transform not only the one entering in, but the receivers. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. This is Jesus's epic journey, but turns out it's also ours. As it turns out, this entering in isn't just something that Jesus does, it's something that we do for one another. This summer, First Press's own Doug Dunderdale hosted a viewing and discussion of the beautiful film Lars and the Real Girl for our monthly Faith and Film Festival. If friends, if you haven't seen it, you really must, and preferably with Doug, who brings both the eye of a filmmaker and the mind of a theologian. The film tells the story of Lars Lindstrom, a young man whose mother died in labor with him. Raised by an emotionally broken father and abandoned by his brother, Lars' emotional maturation is stalted. Unconsciously reaching for a way to become an adult, Lars buys a mail-order, life-sized, anatomically correct doll to become his girlfriend. He, be, he names her Bianca and introduces her to his family and soon his whole small Midwestern town. 
At the recommendation of the local doctor, the community is encouraged to play along with the story that Lars has created for him and Bianca. The doctor explains to all of them, Bianca is real. She's in town for a reason. Warily, this small community joins in and soon not only accepts Bianca and Lars's story, but fully enters into it. His brother and sister-in-law set up the spare bedroom for Bianca and care for her, cooking, bathing, dressing, and taking her to her activities, which soon become many. Lars's church warmly welcomes her, and his co-workers not only invite Bianca to their staff party, but invite her out to the dance floor. Members of the church council pick Bianca up to join them in volunteering at the hospital and reading to children at the library. The local shop ladies even give her a makeover and a part-time job at the mall. Perfect for her. As Lars discovers the love of his community, his attachment to Bianca lessens. One day, Lars announces that Bianca is very sick and dying. Returning from the hospital, Lars is greeted by flowers and cards on the porch for her. The church ladies bring over their casseroles and knitting and sit with him, because that's when you do when tragedy strikes. You come over and sit. When Bianca passes away, the town holds a funeral at the church with a sanctuary full of teary eyes. In his message, the pastor states, from her wheelchair, Bianca reached out and touched all of us in ways we would have never imagined. She was our teacher. She was our lesson in courage. The community risks entering into Lars's foolish story. And somewhere in the process, Bianca becomes real because their love for Lars is real. It's by joining in this ridiculous claim that a doll is real that Lars and his community discover what it really means to be human. Friends, the Advent season invites us on an epic journey from the creation of the cosmos to a cradle, from the infinite to an infant. It is risky, it is foolish, and it changes everything. As we approach Christmas, we're invited to accompany Jesus on this journey, to join him in entering into the awkward, uncomfortable, vulnerable, preposterous places that we might discover what it means to be really human to be God's children. So beloved, what does it look like for you to enter in this Advent? Maybe it is simply walking through the doors of the church. Friends, enter in. Maybe it is walking over to your neighbors next door or sharing a meal with our university neighbors at study hall or food with our insecure neighbors at a street meal or mobile food pantry, friends, enter in. Maybe it's offering your gifts in church leadership in this new season of our life together as a church. Friends, enter in. Maybe it's entering into the pain of an estranged relationship or sharing your own needs for help. Friends, enter in. And the word became flesh and lived among us.
This is God's foolish wisdom, taking on flesh, entering in. It's Christ's epic journey, and it's ours too. Kate Voller is a church historian and best-selling author, and she writes this in her Advent uh, devotional that I would like to close with. The ruler of the cosmos came to us, trapped in a squalling package of that most helpless human form, a newborn baby boy. He was born to save us, and he will, but first he must melt our hearts, appearing not as a powerful emperor or a wise sage or philosopher, but as a shivering little child with no home. He disarms us with his tender vulnerability and summons us to enter his world as little children too. Friends, may this be our journey this season and always. And all God's children said, amen.